was actually curious in the study, was there anything that surprised you? Was there anything in there that you were like, I did not see that coming? Yeah, the biggest one was how many people listed as their most important experience of their life, a negative experience. Imagine this next breath that you're taking is your last breath. And think back to everything you've done in your life. Think of all the things you wished you did, all the things you were really happy you did. And ask the question, why didn't you do more of the stuff that, that you wished you had? What were all the reasons that got in the way? And I think this next speaker really touches on that is, it's not too late. How do we cultivate that sense of urgency? And then go and make that life of our dreams. That's very much what this show's about. So I, I really hope you enjoy this next conversation. That may be the kick in the ass you need to just make, make your life exactly what you want it to be. Add more of those incredible experiences that make it perfectly rich for you. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Dream Beyond. I'm your host, Nick Tarasio. I'm a CEO, musician, and overall seeker of truth, inspiration, and simply put, how to live the most fulfilling life possible. Growing up surrounded by extremely wealthy and successful people gave me unique and unfiltered perspectives of those who have seemingly made it. And on The Dream Beyond, we're letting you in on what it really takes to achieve your dreams, what happens when it turns out your destination isn't the promised land you were expecting, and how to process the lessons from your past while mapping a course to true fulfillment. Let's get started. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm here with an old friend uh, who's an entrepreneur for more than three decades, brings a wealth of experience as a founder and owner. He's led multiple eight-figure businesses and achieved successful exits. He's also the co-author of the upcoming book, Experiential Billionaire, Build a Life Rich in Experiences and Die with No Regrets. And in that book, he delves into the world of experiential living, which I'm really curious to learn more about. I've not touched your book yet. Uh, I figured I'd get it right from the source. And uh, his quest for experiential richness has taken him across 50 plus countries, all 50 states and diverse cultures. And he gets to share this wisdom as a keynote speaker at major events worldwide. Please welcome Joe Huff, everybody. Thanks for being here, Joe. Thanks for having me, Nick, and great to reconnect. Yeah, man. I think, uh, where did we first connect? Was it, was it Summit? It and was then also in Sedona? Yeah, I think it might have been Sedona first. I'm not actually sure which one happened first, but uh, Sedona was definitely where the, the deeper uh, connection happened, for sure. So That's right. That's right. Shout out to, to Andrea Lake for that, for bringing some really great people together. And uh, yeah. it's super it's cool. Like, it's like, you know, people come into your life and then you don't know what happened for a bit and then something awesome happens and you just collide back into there. So thank you for, uh, for allowing this collision today. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We, we actually talk about that in the book about those types of, uh, you know, the importance of those relationships because it's really experiences create deep, meaningful relationships. And then those deep, meaningful relationships create more opportunities for experiences. But you know those people that you forge those bonds with because like even if it's a decade later when you if you whether you bump into them or you see their name pop up on your phone or they come up in conversation you just get this feeling because you remember like this moment that you shared together some really cool experience that like bonded you forever and that's really cool yeah yeah i know on the other side too like the whole like don't be an asshole policy it proves really true and you're like you never know when you're going to run into someone later in your life, you never know when they know someone. And it, it just feels really good. Like you said, you just see someone, you're like, I don't even know what we spoke about 10 years ago exactly, but I know that I feel really good around you and I'm lit up when I see you. So, uh, really love that. And I'd love to start at a place that, um, is kind of my, my favorite opening question is when you were little, what did you dream you'd be when, 
when you grew up? What was the thing that, that you were really excited about? Uh, definitely uh, by like the adolescent years, definitely rock star. It was definitely, music was a big part of my life and I definitely thought, you know, wow, what an incredible opportunity to uh, to be able to be like a, a worldwide, you know, global type of rock star. Um, they seemed to have a pretty good life. Of course, like the the lifespan wasn't so great for a lot of them, but it seemed like a pretty fun uh, ride while it was there. So, you know, it's funny that's we true. talk about that kind of stuff, you know, and again, like that's, that's something that, I think people um, should spend more time thinking about. I love that question that you asked that right now because uh, as we get older, we suppress all that stuff, right? We just decide that you know those were dreams when we were kids, and we put it aside, and we said maybe someday. And even like I see all like the guitars on the wall behind you there, people that were you know musicians and like oh I want to play in a band and I'll do that someday, and then that someday just goes into the someday calendar. This is a great abyss, you know, we call it someday syndrome. And then it just doesn't happen, but there's really not a great reason for it not happening. You don't have to become like the rock star, right? But you can follow that dream and get quite a lot of joy out of just, you know, whether you get up on stage in front of your friends or whether it's at a cafe or something. So, um, so I think that the big part of what we preach is that finding your dreams is part of it, but also rediscovering the dreams you had that you forgot about is a really huge part of it. Yeah. And I, I do think I remember that probably 10 years ago we connected on that because that was my dream too. I was like, I want to be a rock star. It's interesting. I still desire much of that aspect of the dream, um, but not the same reason why underneath. I think like when I first wanted it as a teenager, I wanted to be worthy of love. And I was like, if a million people love me, maybe then I'll know that I'm worthy of it. I just want to have that, you know, that kind of experience. Uh, but now it's more like, how cool would it be to impact a million people with your words, right? Which yeah. you get to do on stage as well. I imagine that in many ways, the things you do now are still related to some aspects of that dream. And I'd love to hear that. Like how, how has that informed your journey? How has that ended up with even where you are now? Oh man, that's, that's the whole thing. That's really, and it's again, really insightful way to put it. Um, you know, when you're, when you're young, you know, you're thinking about impressing other people because you want to make friends, you want to, you know, find your significant other. There's a lot of reasons that you feel like that, but as you get older and you start to realize that the real truth is you get so much joy out of making the world better, making people's lives better, connecting with, with people in a way that's meaningful to them. Um, and it's the, you know, like the idea music, right? That's a great example again, because so many people get a feeling from it. You know, it's such this, it's this great positive feeling. Um, I think, I, I think it's a Rick Rubin quote that says something like the goal isn't to create, you know, perfect art. The goal is to basically create something that people knew existed, but, you know, couldn't touch or couldn't feel or didn't know how to connect with that. Um, and then you just show them that. And that's really what I feel like we're doing where, you know, when you tell people that your experiences are the greatest thing in your lives and the most important thing and the most valuable thing in your lives, everybody knows it. Yeah. It's like, if you asked everybody that, especially as they get older, they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, that's not how everyone acts. It's like, we have this glitch, you know, in our, in our system, but it's those connections, those proof points where you actually do something and you affect somebody and it starts to, you know, come back to you and you go, oh, wait a minute. You know, that just starts to wake that all up. So for me, even now it's funny with the journey of writing the book, which has been like a really crazy, crazy, uh, difficult journey. Um, 
little tiny things along the way were so impactful. Like for instance, like having a proofreader read like the first draft and then come back and say, you know, yeah, I made some, you know, edits and here's some things I think that, you know, doesn't make sense grammatically. Also, by the way, this inspired me to move to California. Like I always said I was going to do, and I wound up living in Michigan for 10 years instead because I you know, got sidetracked and your book just completely reminded me that I just suppressed my goals and forgot what I really wanted to do and blah, blah, blah. I, we've heard this story like a hundred times now, just in the process of the book writing process with the handful of folks that have like read it. Um, so that's been really cool. And then on the broader stage, like when you actually get up in front of a bunch of people, you know, the, the overwhelming response is just, wow. Yeah. You know, like everybody's like, it's just kind of like t tapping back into something that we all know deeply that we just suppress because we get really busy with life and, you know, it's very normal. So. Yeah. What, and what is that feeling from the stage for you? you what does it feel act? like to be up there? Like when you're up there, when you're up there speaking to a bunch of people and sharing from your heart, sharing your story, I'm wondering what that feels like for you in your body. Yeah. You know, that's interesting that you say that. Uh, also, it's a great question because um, I used to actually have a lot of stage, you know, fright. I used to be, you know, afraid of public speaking, like most people. And it's called glossophobia. It's like affects like, it's like considered to be, I think, the number one fear um, in modern society is public speaking. And I re reframed that because I really felt like this message was something I had to get out. And as I started reframing that in my head of like, this is some, so important and this is something I need to share. And I started really turning that kind of fear into this isn't fear. This is, I'm excited to tell this story. It became way more personal. And when I'm on stage and I'm talking, when I'm delivering this message, I definitely feel like I'm in like a bar full of close friends. And I'm trying to just kind of share something that is really deeply meaningful to me. And that connects really well and makes me feel like I'm, you know, it just feels really good to know that I'm able to connect like that because I do feel like, you know, the delivery system has the chance, you know, we've all been preached at, we've all been told things, this position of like authority and nobody wants that. You know, I definitely don't want to give people that. I try to actually, in general, when I'm on like a one-on-one -on -one kind of conversation, ask way more questions than tell that people kind of come to the answers on their own. But, uh, but yeah, I feel like, uh, I, I just feel like I'm in, I'm in a place that I'm meant to be in and it just feels really, really good. Yeah. So kind of, I'm going to stay with the music theme for a second, because I think we've kind of touched on something that has showed up in a lot of parts of my life and probably for a lot of people that don't see themselves as creatives or artists, but realize their work, their work is their art, right? Whatever that thing is, it isn't just the medium of being a rock star. I, I, I think of your book in many ways, like writing a perfect song, right? Everyone's after like, I just want to write the perfect song. I want to write the song that takes off on its own. It has a life of its own. It actually goes beyond me. I think Rick Rubin talks about that too, of like, there's a certain point where you realize you were just the conduit and it's the, the song belongs to everybody else. And what was the moment, what was the moment where you were like, wow, this is my song. Like, this is the song that I need to go put out there. I need to produce it. I need to get it all done and put it out into the world. Like, how did you know? I mean, it's, it's been in the culmination of, of a lot. I, I, I've been telling a lot of my close, close friends and, and my wife and people that I feel like right now I am everything I've gone through in my life has prepared me and 
and guided me to this moment, I really feel like that's where I'm at. And so I think I'm actually just coming to that moment you're talking about where I feel like this is my song. This is what it's meant to be. And I can kind of, you know, give you the backstory in a somewhat short version, like to, to probably make a little more sense for the audience. Um, but yeah, this whole life journey for me started um, when I was really young. My parents met on an assembly line making brake pads um, in the Midwest. So, you know, my closest experience to a, a trust fund was trusting that my parents would fund the occasional trip to an ice cream truck. So I was uh, trying to figure out, you know, the whole rock star and, you know, life sounded pretty good, but it was a pretty far-fetched uh, lifestyle for me. And I had a rough childhood uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I overcame some some things that were self-inflicted, et cetera. Um, and uh, I, I made it somehow through high school. And right as I was graduating high school, uh, I came downstairs right before my 18th birthday. And uh, and my dad, I found my dad slumped over the kitchen table and he was pale, as a, you know, just white as a sheet and drenched in sweat. And, uh, and we rushed him to the hospital. He was 48 years old. And he had worked his whole life and had, I'm sure, this great grand plan for a retirement. And uh, it turned out um, that wasn't just a heart attack. We got to the hospital and they said that his heart was failing. He had cardiomyopathy and it was a really advanced stage. And uh, it was failing right then, not in the future at some distant point. And they added him to the top of the transplant list and told us he had really low odds of survival. And, you know, we were like pacing this hospital actually, you know, like walking over another halls, looking in these other rooms, seeing these other people in these situations. And it just, it just felt so wrong to feel like this is how people lived. You know, they're postponing their goals and their life now for this future that just might not exist. And, you know, I kept thinking about all the things my dad wanted to do still, but had it. And, uh, and the more I just kept turning that over, I was just like, this is, this is bullshit. You know, this is all wrong. Something's wrong with this plan. But, um, you know, that moment gave me this really great gift. It gave me this gift of, uh, urgency. And I basically, my dad, by the way, was very lucky. He, he was one of the lucky ones. He got a transplant and, uh, basically got a second chance at life, which was also extremely impactful on my life, watching that happen. Um, but it made me aware that I might not have time for my dreams and my goals. So that sent me off on this just crazy urgent journey in life where I was determined to try to do stuff that, you know, come, you know, hell or high water, I was going to figure out ways to do things. I didn't have much money or, or, you know, resources, but I was like, I'm just going to figure out what I could do. And that led me on this, um, you know, I, I had a bunch of terrible jobs. I did a bunch of different things, but I met a lot of people, got a lot of new experiences and it just kept building from those little steps. Um, eventually led me to, uh, one of my friends started a small t-shirt company that then somehow accidentally turned into a warehousing business that we somehow accidentally built into a pretty big warehousing business over like a decade. And, uh, you know, that was, that was like, none of that would have happened had I not just been gifted this gift of like urgency. I would have probably just been sitting where I grew up in the same town doing the same thing. Um, but, uh, because of that, I made all those changes and then Something else happened with my dad, which was he actually got uh, cancer, which happens from the type of drugs that you do you do from uh, immunotherapy. And I brought him home for hospice care. And I was able to watch the second end of life for him, kind of. Um, and uh, that gave me this really great clarity of just like, what's going to matter? What are we thinking about for the end of our lives? 
and to, to again to get that gift at, you know um, a young age relatively speaking um that that just set me off again like another the urgency i had had kind of like plateaued and that just kicked it back into gear again and i i had always thought you know oh i i'd love to be a philanthropist and do something, you know, in a positive way to impact the world, but I'm not rich. I'm not Bill Gates. I don't have any money or time. And then I thought that's all an excuse for a reason. And these are all the kinds of things we talk about in the book a lot. It's like, you know, how do we just overcome those, those excuses and those reasons? Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so what happened is I, I left the company and started doing a bunch of other stuff. And that, um, that led me to my business partner, Bridget, who saw me doing charity work with other companies and, we started listen and we started giving hearing aids to people around the world. And that turned into us traveling around the world for a decade and giving over 50,000 people hearing aids, which was like the most remarkable life-changing experience ever. And then along that route, along that road, people kept coming up to us. And this, this actually ties right back to the actual concept of the book and how I found myself. People kept coming up to us and going, wow, you guys must be rich. You guys must be killing it. You know, you're traveling all over the world. We saw Beats sold at $3 billion. You guys are about to buy your own private jet or something. And we were like, um, actually, we were pretty broke. Uh, we're What's on paper is not the same as what's in the bank account. But we're having all these incredible experiences. So we like to consider ourselves experiential billionaires. So we would tell people that um, as a way to kind of laugh off the fact that we were giving all of our money to charity and doing all this stuff. Uh, and uh, and then this was still a really great lifestyle for us because we were the fulfillment level was like, you know, we were at the brim. And then um, 2020 happened, you know, everything shuts down. We can't do the missions. We started the company to actually give hearing aids and came up with the speakers and headphones as a, as a tool. So suddenly we were just selling speakers and headphones because there were no more mass, you know, we couldn't get together and give people hearing aids. And we, we really actually just did a deep dive and asked our friends and our mentors and our network and said, what's the value that you see us giving? To the world, you know, what could we do that would be the most impactful or positive thing? And everybody kept coming back and just saying, "Your stories about how you've done all these things, like that's that's the message." You know, you guys should really share that because it's really inspiring. Because you know, we we came from like uh, unassuming beginnings, you know, a, a humble beginning to like turn somehow into like giving millions and millions of dollars away and traveling the world and checking off all these things on our list what we help other people check things up on their list kind of thing and yeah that was like how it all kind of just coalesced into writing the book and and one last note on it we started writing the book about just this you know the science and research behind how important it is to invest in in experiences because you know all the data shows that that is the number one regret people have um, and then, so we actually ran our own survey of over 20,000 people to see, you know, what are the number one regrets you have in your life? What are the things you most want to do still? Why haven't you done them yet? You know, we started collecting all this data. And as we started writing the book, though, it, just, it turned more and more into our life stories with all of these, you know, messages in them and exercises and the research data points and all that. Um, and it just became this like, really, you know, this is the most personal thing I've ever done by far. And it's like, you know, really, uh, like, I guess that's when it became like, this is my song. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm standing firm on this is like, this is, this is what I believe. And I hope I really truly believe this can transform people's lives if they, 
if they follow this kind of path. So, yeah. Well, congrats and thank you. Uh, you know, it's, you answered a bunch of my questions, which was really going to be touching on, you know, the relationship to regret and, and going into the study. I was actually curious in the study, was there anything that surprised you? Was there anything in there that you were like, I did not see that coming? Yeah. The biggest one was how many people listed as their most important experience of their life, a negative experience. So many people actually said, you know, this, this thing happened, you know, where whether it was like a divorce or a loss. And even like in my case, you know, that's an example where, you know, losing someone made somebody aware of something or they changed or, you know, they got fired from a job and then they actually wound up going into the thing they had wanted to do. And that was really interesting to see that it took some outside negative force. And this is part of that, you know, the hero's journey stuff that we all, we all know, um, where it's like that everyday ordinary person and some crazy obstacle happens and they overcome it and become this better, bigger thing. And, you know, that was really, really, uh, powerful. The other thing I would say that was really, um, surprising and alarming is, and this is something that I really think speaks to, you know, your audience. Um, there's so many people that we just all think we have more time, right? So there's so many things on our list. And if we really hone down the list and like make that actual plan, you know, once we get the urgency, we got to visualize. There's so many things that are so achievable that we just don't do. Cause we just assume like so many people put things like I, I regret never having taken my wife to go see where I grew up in the next state over, you know, and now she's gone. Or I regret, you know, never, you know, taking, learning, you know, Japanese because my parents spoke it and I always wanted to be able to learn more about our culture and history. And I didn't, you know, like things that were very, very achievable and doable in this day and age, especially with, you know, the access to some, most of it wasn't expensive. There was a lot of things. Obviously people, some people put stuff like, I always wanted to go to, you know, Italy or something, but a lot of the stuff was very, very, very attainable. They just slipped by because they just didn't get it on their calendar, didn't make an effort to do it. So, so that's the kind yeah. of stuff that I think, uh, people can avoid, you know, with my daddy, yeah, I like to like kind of phrase it like that. And with most people, we always hear the story, right. Of somebody that has the near death experience or loses someone close to them. And then they go out and run that marathon or climb that mountain or do that thing that they always wanted to do. The thing that's really crazy is like, you know, with my dad, for instance, like the, the health situation wasn't avoidable probably. Um, but the regret that he would have had, had he you know passed that first time around was, you know, because he had just been putting off all those things. So we're trying to give people that urgency without the near-death experience. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I And I really, really appreciate the what you said of, you know, people uh, find that the negative experience is often the blessing, right? It's often the thing that's like, let me kick my ass into gear. That was the meaningful turning point. Because I know, especially like New York, the Western world, a lot of our life is avoiding the negative, right? It's like, I don't want to face the shadow. I don't want to deal with the darkness. I want to press buttons and have things show up so I never have to feel any form of discomfort. And it's really yeah. interesting to see it's on some point, it almost as if maybe the gift of, Health is sometimes, look, if you're not going to listen to all the signs that are telling you you're not on the right course, we'll just take it all from you. And some of us are lucky enough to catch it right before, right? Catch it right before and say, I didn't have to lose everything to really get my life. And I appreciate that story. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's funny in in my talk, I always, I like to start off with, I I tell a story about how when I was 27, I actually, I had to file for bankruptcy and, uh, 
I, it was really, really difficult time in my life. It was this really terrible situation. But at the time I had also decided I was going to do, you know, stand up comedy for the last few years. I had been trying it off and on. I was actually younger. And instead of like dwelling on it, actually, it turned out to be a really great joke in my stand up comedy because when I went to file for bankruptcy, they told me that it cost $2,500 to file for bankruptcy. So I had to go around telling people I'd like to be bankrupt, but I just can't afford it. So it just became like, it's all framing things, you know, like, I mean, turn it into a joke and be careful. If you don't laugh, you know, you'll cry kind of thing. So, yeah. Beautiful. Well, I, I'd love to go a little bit deeper into, as you were speaking and talk, touching on the urgency. And again, I think this, I've had a similar experience of watching my grandmother die uh, when I was really young and she spent a lot of time in a hospital, really struggled with health issues. And it was my urgency in many ways. Watching that happen was, I also had a lot of health issues when I was a teenager. And again, these were the blessings of like, everyone else is like, we've got infinite time. We're 17. And I'm like, I could die tomorrow. So, uh, you know, that wasn't true necessarily, but that's what it felt like. I'm curious, how do people balance or how do they know if they're running from death versus running towards life, right? Because I think that that is one of the things that can happen when we experience death at an early age or lose someone that we really care about or watch just the suffering of that. Yeah, you know, um, there's, to me, I think the Western world in particular, you know, we're really good at avoiding the conversation of death. Um, so if there's one, you know, for sure thing that we all know is that everybody's going to die. Um, I think that if you dwell on it and, you know, it, it could become obviously a morbid and B create like a fear induced reaction, um, which isn't really what I think is healthy at all. I think that it's contemplating it. It's, you know, thinking of like, this is going to happen. And, you know, we use with them, the memento mori, you know, that has, it's right in the card deck, it's in the book, but you know, in America right now it's 76 is the average lifespan. Um, it's actually 74 for men and 78 for, for women. So it's just a box, uh, you know, set, it's a chart of 76 boxes and you can just fill out how many you've lived so far by year and see how much time you have left on average. And that, again, that's not to create like fear, it's to create reality. So you can look at the math and go, okay, you know, I've got, hopefully if I'm average or above average, I've got, you know, 20 boxes left. I said, I want to, you know, go to, you know, all the States or I want to visit these 12 places or whatever. Like if I'm going to do one of those a year, I got to start planning that, you know, it just gives you like, you know, as a, a, a template map of like, okay, this is how much time because if you don't do that, you won't. But if you start looking at it, you know, from a, oh my God, I've got to do everything like next week, you could probably start making some unhealthy habits, you know? So you don't want to like chase things down as though, like we say, like you want to, it's kind of like the Gandhi approach of, you know, you want to live as if you'll die tomorrow, but learn as if you'll live forever. So you want to have long-term goals still. You want to, you couldn't plan a family or, you know, a long-term career or any of those things. If you actually act as though you're going to live tomorrow, you're going to be pretty self-destructive because you're not going to think that the repercussions are going to exist. So it's really more of a contemplating it so you can form a plan. There's, there's a lot of really great ways to like use that math. Like, you know, if you think you're going to for instance, if your parents are like in their seventies already, you know, maybe, you know, they're doing well, maybe they're not, maybe they'll live 20 years maybe they'll live five. But if you just use the average and you go, okay, they've got like 
and on average four or five boxes left and I see them once a year, that means I'm only going to see my parents five more times. Well, maybe I should make some changes to my travel schedule and my plan or my kids, you know, with me, I've got two small kids, um, you know, one and a half and three and a half. And this time is flying by. So if I want to take them to that amusement park or the zoo or on a road trip or camping or, you know, you got to plan those things because it's going to just slip right by. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I didn't ever took that road trip or did that thing. And then you're going to have that. That's the kind of regret that's avoidable. But yeah, yeah that's, I hope a, that that's a great perspective. Was that clear? No, it does. Though? Yeah, it does. And I, I, you know, I think the, the, the place that I go to with that is starting with that reality seems like a really great way to see it, right? It's like, I think that the denial of death would be someone that doesn't want to look at the fact that like, there is a chance that this is as long as I'm going to go on average, right? The, or at least most of the people in my life on average, the people in my life are going to probably go around that age. So I do really like that as an approach of start with the reality of what's there. And in the case that like, you've spoken to so many people about this, I imagine, have you spoken to people that couldn't face the reality that you've experienced them? Like almost like, this is not something I want to think about. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I mean, and yeah, I would say the majority of people probably like they're very much like, I don't want to think about or talk about that. Um, because it's scary. You know, a lot of people look at it like it's scary. They don't, they can't reframe it into, okay, you know, this is finite, but which is, it's weird, right? Because it's, it's avoiding, it doesn't make it go away, right? It's not like, it's like sticking your head in the sand, you know? So, um, but there's definitely a lot of people that, that need that kind of push. And that's why I think, you know, getting into again, the book, I think does a really good job of like a building, you know, of showing people, you know, um, how to start thinking like that. You know, we do a really cool exercise called the treasure map right in the beginning that, you know, you actually, you, you pretend that you got that call from your doctor that you only have 30 days left to live. What are you going to do? You know, and then using that as kind of like, you know, there's a, it's a longer exercise than that, but using that kind of as a base, you know, how many of those things are on your list now and why not, you know? And then we kind of build into that, like, here's all the things that other people said, you know, these things sound familiar and, you know, this is, you know, if they probably do, um, this is ways to start like removing those kind of regrets by doing those things and putting those things on your calendar and taking steps to do them. And then as you do that stuff, you start to see that fear of the specter of, you know, your mortality kind of go away because suddenly your life feels full and purposeful. And I think the fear that people experience is the fear of getting to the end and not feeling like they had that life story they wanted, you know, and it's like that reverse, hey. you know, eulogy where if you, if you picture your eulogy being said today, if something happened to you, you know, today, would it be the eulogy that you want for your life? Would it be, you know, Nick, he did this and this and this and how he affected people. And if it's not, that now you got to change it right and you can it's super easy to start taking the steps to just start working towards what you want that to be i have a very um very powerful proof point of how how well this works um unfortunately um <clears throat> so my wife and i well, we met a decade ago and and uh, my wife lived halfway around the world and our relationship was founded in like us traveling to meet when we could and spending a lot of time all over and we were really intentional about like where we met and what we did since her friends were all around the world and mine were around the world we got married in indonesia and bali and you know we we wound up you know doing all these like really cool experiences together and then we planned you know, we we did the work like i'm telling you in the book you know we figured out our treasure map what we want to do how we want to 
you know, try to maximize our time here. Um, and we finished the first draft of the book. Um, and we literally, right before we went into the second draft, my wife got diagnosed with, um, stage three breast cancer. This was just a year ago. And she was, it was literally like, uh, uh the weekend of her 34th birthday. So, wow. um, it was a wild, wild journey. And, uh, she did, uh, five months of chemotherapy and then a double mastectomy. And then she had uh, radiation and a full year of immunotherapy. Um, and it worked, the treatments worked. Um, there was, you know, obviously about eight months of, of being unsure if it was going on, what was happening, if it was working or not. But, uh, but we're, we're just now on the other, the other side of it. But the reason I share that story is first of all, my wife is just a badass, and she just handled this, like, you know, as a mother of two young kids, it's, I can't even begin to explain how much respect I have and how, you know, I think as a, a lot of guys probably, I think I'm tough. Like she, she made tough, like into a thing I can't even imagine, you know, she's like a superhero, but, um, the reason that I think it's so important to use that story is at the end of it, as we found out that it worked and her pathology came back negative and the tumors were gone, we didn't have a bunch of changes in our future. You know, like with my dad, he had to change his whole life. He literally moved to Mexico and started doing all these you know, adventures and things he had never done. My wife and I, our plans the same. And that was so powerful to me because when we sat wow. down and started thinking about what we were going to do, there wasn't like, we got to make all these changes. We got to, we've been going to living for other people. We've been doing their own thing. We actually were like, we're on our path. And this was just a crazy, crazy obstacle that she just broke through. But the path was the same. And that was really powerful. Yeah. Because like, obviously we would be instill, you know, the idea of something happening and losing her would be completely devastating. Um, but the regret part, you know, of how she's been living her life isn't there because she's been living her life on her terms the way she wanted and intentionally. So that's a powerful, like, uh, yeah, that's an incredible, that's an incredible story. And again, sorry, you went through that and congratulations for coming out the other side of it you know, with a positive outcome. I wonder for you, is there, is there a regret you look back on in your life as someone who's had to think about that so much? Is there something specific where you're like, that is the number one regret I had? Oh, you know what, man? I mean, and I got more regrets than I can imagine, but I don't have, it's funny because I guess that's the difference when you start talking about this kind of a life, right? Where it's most people's biggest regrets are the things they didn't do, you know, not the things they did that went wrong. So my regrets for things I did are things like that was, you know, that was dumb. I could have done that better, et cetera. Um, but the bigger regrets, probably not starting. I feel like even like, like this whole idea of what your song is, to use that musical metaphor. I feel like if I had actually done the more personal work, I probably would have been doing this sooner. I had a lot of fear. I was actually very afraid of, you know, you know, basically telling people this message or this story or trying to, you know, influence people. I felt like maybe that would be, maybe I'm a fraud. Maybe I'm not worthy of sharing that, et cetera. And, and I feel like took me a long time to get past that. And so I, I would say I probably just regret not starting sooner. And I think that's the overall message that most of the regrets in the 20,000 plus person survey, it's all stuff like, I wish I started my business sooner. I wish I had traveled more sooner. I wish I did. It's all stuff that people wish they did or started sooner than they did. So have you done the eulogy exercise for yourself? Yeah. You know, we actually went a little bit deeper than that. Bridget and I did a little fake 
funeral once uh, a few years back. There's, people do this in uh, in Seoul, and it's it's quite popular. And I think probably in other parts of the world, and it's even been a comical. Really, us. but yeah, it was on an episode of uh, Larry David, and we did it like you know joking way, definitely. Um, but it's powerful still. I gotta say, you know, when you ask your friends, like you know, what they would say, um, I was surprised at how many people, you know, talked about how I inspired them to start a business or you know do something that they hadn't thought they could do because I did it. And I think that that's something that in society we take for granted. We don't realize that our actions are really what speaks the loudest. So you know, like you having this podcast, you know, there's definitely folks that are listening and watching and going, you know what, that that Nick can do it, I could do it. You're giving people permission, right, to like live yeah. their dreams. And especially if it's like, well, you know, Nick didn't come from some family of broadcasters or history of entertainers or blah, blah, blah. Then it's like, it it, it connects people in a way they're like, that's, they're, he's like me, I could do that because he did it. And uh, that was really powerful. It was really, really powerful to hear how many little things I didn't realize that I had done that affected people without even, you know, knowing that I did that. So it's worth doing. I think people, uh, I think people would enjoy that experience. And I think, again, it takes a little bit of the, the negative, like, you know, you want to, let's make it a little less serious, the whole death topic and make it a little more lighthearted. <laughs> so yeah. if you can't. No, I, I, I love my, my 43rd birthday is coming up and two weeks and I was trying to figure out what to do. I think I'm actually going to do it as a funeral. <laughs> That's great. It'd be right. great because I have some of my closest friends coming over to be like, let's have some fun. Let's hear what you guys have to say about it. And like touching on, you know, you're talking about stand-up comedy, which is something I also pursued. For whatever reason, you and I have a very, very similar path. And uh, I very much appreciate that. We're also in like the black t-shirt club. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think that there's something really beautiful about the idea of comedy is tragedy plus time, right? Like that, if you've ever heard that equation, right? And it's like, for most people, it's like, oh man, things are so heavy and dark. And it's like, just give it some time. Just give it some yeah. time and we can find the levity in it and we can laugh about it. Because if we can't laugh about it, then man, it's a hard ride if we can't see the humor in it all. Yeah, we there's a whole chapter in the book, literally um, turning negatives into positives because it is, and, and so much of it is that, you know, and even that's why the idea of, you know, going out and, and trying to have an experience, even the stuff that at the time, like for instance, we all know like for me, I've got get with the kids it's hard to travel with kids, but I do it. And in the moment, there's definitely times where I've got like, you know, two very uncomfortable kids or they're driving me a little bit crazy or, you know, where whatever you're trying to do, whether you're setting up a campsite or trying to get six hours to a hotel or, you know, there's maybe projectile vomit or, you know, who knows what with kids, there's a lot of things happening. Um, afterwards, like right now I'm laughing about it. Yeah. Those are the things that you laugh about because it's so ridiculous. And that's why, like, if you're in an experience with some friends and things like completely sideways, those are the best stories. Those are the ones that you want to tell. Nobody wants to hear the story about, yeah, we went on this day trip and everything went absolutely perfectly. And it was very easy and no, <laughs> no controversy happened. Nobody cares about that story. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, uh, recently, I uh, was telling someone that my, you know, they're like, what, what does life mean to you? And I said, life to me is just, you have a, a certain number of containers of moments and you try to fill them with, with as much experience as you can. And then you have a bunch of connective tissue of like the other stuff that happens in life. And, it, uh, man, this is, I, I love the way you framed it again. It's like anything. It's like, you could take a guitar and you could sing over it, but sometimes when people do it, it moves you in a way that other people can't. 
And I, I, I just love the way you've, you've really framed it. Thanks. You know, it's funny when I, when we started this, you know, writing this and sharing this concept, it's not new. I definitely think that lots and lots of people, you know, throughout history have, you know, preached this message. Um, and, uh, but it's the time and the messenger and, you know, we hope, I hope that I'm, I can connect with people that just, this hasn't struck, you know, this, this concept and yeah, the whole idea of moments, you know, that's, you know, the, and to be clear, by the way, you know, this isn't about experiences versus money. I think that people confuse that and they think, well, great, have a bunch of experiences. I've got to work. I've got to pay my bills. Absolutely. Totally agree. It's about experiences being the most important thing to invest in. So even if you, you know, have this huge big idea of like a, I want to go on a vacation to, you know, travel Europe and whatever, you put that on your calendar for a year from now. And in the meantime, do what you can do, you know, start filling up your days and stop losing the time that is getting stolen from you every day with stuff that doesn't add value to your life, because that's what you can't control. There's a lot of little everyday moments that, you know, fill in around all the bigger picture things. So besides doing the big picture stuff, you got to get those little moments in because the moments, as you put it, you know, those are, that's your experiential, you know, wealth and the wealth equation that we've been taught forever is that you know, money equals happiness. And the more money you have, the more happiness and everybody that's successful that worked their ass off to get successful, but sacrificed everything else in their life. A lot of them are, you know, eating a very uh, untasty sandwich right now because they're just yeah. like, this isn't what I thought, right? I, I sacrificed my family life. I sacrificed my 20s or my 30s or whatever, and I didn't do anything and I didn't put those moments in. What the real equation is, our experiences times a lot equals happiness. You know, if you can get them, whoever gets the most experiences in, it's not a contest, but those are the people that feel good. And again, yeah. back to like the bankruptcy story, you don't lose them, right? You know, what your experiences, good or bad, they're, they're yours forever, you invest in them. And they also make you more valuable, generally speaking, because everybody, you know, you don't, if you're so specialized, you can be replaced in, in a job, you can be less interesting in the social environment, et cetera. But the, the person that's, you know, done more things, has more to talk about, has more to give, has more perspective, has more you know, value as a person, both in their you know, personal life and their social life and, and in their, their work life. So it's a, it's a mind shift. I think it's definitely a mind shift that people just, once they see it, they'll go, oh yeah, I, I, I knew that, but I'm glad I got reminded. Mm, phenomenal. And uh, interestingly, my last question is somewhat answered by one of your processes. So I always ask people, what's their dream beyond? And I really think that's the treasure map question. Yeah. So for you, what is, what is the dream beyond? What's the treasure map? This book, it's funny this week, crazy as it, that might sound, this feels like my wife's very last immunotherapy was like two weeks ago. The book's coming out in two weeks. And this feels like the beginning of, for lack of a better word, the rest of my life. This feels like my legacy kind of work. So for me, the dream is to build experiential billionaire as a message and as a brand and as a movement, just over the course of the rest of my life where, um, I show my kids that you can do the things you want in life. You can you know, write a book, you can inspire other people, you can make a positive change. Um, and it's something that I think I can do forever because as, as I get, a uh, you know, physically less 
active, which sadly I'm relatively sure um, happens as you get older. Those are things that I can still, I can hopefully still speak to people and share this message and share my stories and uh, and create a positive change. Um, that's that's my my big dream is to try to affect as many people as possible. Beautiful. It sounds like that's a dream that's going to come true in a big way. And uh, man, we've only been speaking for 43 minutes and I'm so inspired by everything you said. So thank you for doing it, man. Thank you for, for sharing that. I'm very, very thankful to be on. I have a question for you though. So what sure. about you? What, what's, if you, what's on your, your list on your treasure map? What are you, what are you trying to achieve? Mm, great. I love a good turnaround, by the way. I always know when I have a good guest when they're like, wait, we're not done here. So yeah. I got to get, help you uh, uh, achieve one of your experiences or we can do one together. Yeah, that would be lovely. Uh, Man, oh man. There's a lot of things that have come to me lately. Um, It sounds really reductive, uh, but I want to give myself permission to be fully expressed in any medium I want to play in. And I think what that's really driven me to is I want to help people cultivate creativity. That's awesome. I love it. And how would you see yourself doing that? Like creating tools or giving like actual direct? I'm standing, I'm standing on that cliff right now of, I don't know exactly what the media medium is. So I've been working with people on like parts work and different modalities of healing. I do sound healing now and sound therapy. Um, so I don't know what it is, but I know like in the next three months, I can feel that it's going to reveal itself as what the medium is I play in. And I'm, I'm just putting that out there that if anyone has tools or practices for cultivating creativity within, my dream has always been to write the perfect song. And the perfect song is actually not me. It's, it's without any distortion, allowing that source, that creativity, that muse to come through me and knowing that it just, it happened in front of me. I want to be in a front row seat to letting that through. So that's been the dream is just spend the rest of my life moving the ego, the distortions, the fear. What you just said is like, can you have the courage to actually speak what you know to be true without the fear of like, someone's going to stab you in your most sensitive area when you're like, but this is what I believe. Don't say no, don't criticize, don't troll me. Can I cultivate that confidence to be able just to speak what, what feels true within me? Oh yeah, I think you can. I think you're going to, that's a, that's a really, and just thinking about it, that's the first step you're already there. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I know for a fact people are going to come out and attack the book and the message. And, you know, there's going to be people, but I already know that people are going to, it's going to resonate and change some lives. That's what matters, right? It matters that you're doing that. So by just what you just shared, if you just start doing that, it only takes, you know, the wins for you to forget about all the losses. And maybe the song you'll come to realize at the end is like the song has been all the songs that you've ever written all together. That's exactly right. That's the whole, it's, it's my bohemian rhapsody. Like it's that, that's what it's like. The song is not chorus, you know, a chorus verse, chorus verse. It's more like, it's just this crazy movement of all these different things. That, that is the dream. I don't think I ever wanted to have just the repeating pattern. So thank you for asking that. It's probably the first time I verbalized it and put it into words of like, yeah, that is what it is. It's about cultivating that source creativity and getting out of the way and seeing what comes through. Oh, I love it, man. It's beautiful. That's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. This has been phenomenal. And I am excited to follow your journey. It is beautiful to reconnect. And thanks for sharing so much from your heart and and doing what you do. And for anybody that is curious to stay on the journey with Joe, is you could check out experientialbillionaire.com 
or his personal website, joehuff.com. He's got info on his keynotes and everything on there. And of course, go get the book, Experiential Billionaire, Build a Life Rich in Experiences and Die with No Regrets. That's on his websites and, and Amazon as well. And if you want to get playful, which this may be a birthday gift to myself or the treasure maps, man, that sounds super cool. It's a card deck that could inspire you to do some really cool things with your life and and uh, just add more experiences to them. And you could get those again on Amazon or his website. So Joe, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you, Nick. It was really great to reconnect, man. I'm looking forward to the next round. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Dream Beyond. I hope that you received whatever message or inspiration you were meant to get from today's episode. I had a great time recording it for you. If you love the show, please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review it. That really helps get the word out. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Instagram.com slash Nick Tarasio, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Nick Tarasio, or YouTube.com slash N Tarasio.